0: But most importantly, I hope the following episode inspires you to take the next step forward in your faith journey this week. Enjoy.
1: Anybody else got a growing list of never say nevers? I have one. This is one. Um, A few months ago, Andy asked me um, if I would be interested in doing this, if I would maybe speak on Father's Day. And I heard my mouth say maybe, but that was really confusing confusing for me because in my head I was going, absolutely not. And he immediately let our service programming team know so that it would be hard for me to back out of it at that point, which is fair. You know, he took my maybe as a yes, which I've done a lot with him. Um, So uh, over the past couple of months though, he'll, he'll, he's walked up and he said, so how are you feeling about Father's Day? And I say, terrible. And he just walks away with a sinister sounding laugh, <laughs> knowing what I was in for. But Father's Day is here. It got here really fast this year. And um, as I started thinking of and praying about the topic for today, I thought about this story and it's a true story. It's something that happened to us probably 10 or 12 years ago, um, Andy and I drove down to Atlanta to meet with a group of people. It was sort of a smaller group of people. And um, we were all just sort of talking, getting to know each other a little bit, just um, chatting. And one particular fellow kind of stood out, um, nice enough guy, but, but he struck us and me particularly as pretentious, you know, the type. And um, so the conversations continued through the evening. And at some point, somebody looks at this guy and they say, um, where do you live? And he said, well, you know where the governor's mansion is? And he proceeded to give directions to his house with the governor's mansion as the starting place. And he did not live anywhere near the governor's mansion. And so Andy and I are driving home and we're just talking about the evening, you know, sort of downloading the evening like you do and and this came up and we were chuckling cuz we were amused at his approach for giving directions to his home and we decided maybe this is how we should answer that question from now on. So it would go something like this. Um Andy, Sandra, where do you live? And we would say, "Well, You know where the governor's mansion is? Well, you get on West Paces Ferry Road and you go over to 75 North and you take 75 North for about two miles. And then you get on 285 East and you go about four miles. And then you hit Georgia 400 North and you go about 10 miles and you get off at Haynes Bridge and you just head Northwest. And when you get almost to Cherokee County, that's where we live. That's where we live. So I tell you that story, though, because you might think that since today is Father's Day, that I would be talking to fathers or at least talking about something related to Father's Day. But that could not be farther. From what I'm going to talk about today so um, as I thought about today's message though I thought about the fact that for many of you I've been your pastor's wife for a long time um, for some of you maybe not quite as long and um, and I've had a unique seat on the bus in this journey being Andy's wife and and just you know all the things that have happened the spiritual journey for for all of us I've had a unique seat on the bus and I've learned some some interesting lessons along the way I don't know if you know this but When you're in ministry of any kind, you see the good, bad, and ugly of everybody, of a lot of people's lives, and you are tasked with helping them sort all that out and navigate it and process it and sort of view it through a biblical framework. That's kind of what your job is. But also when you're in ministry, you're faced with your own good, bad, and ugly. And sometimes it gets real bad and ugly because working with people can be hard. And so you have to sort all your own stuff out at the same time. And so as I thought about something, of that. I thought about the fact that um, Andy and I have been doing ministry now for 34 years. We've been, this summer will be 34 years we've been married. And um, so we've been doing ministry for a long time. So there are a lot of lessons, um, which in fact, when we started dating, I was a junior in college and um, we are sitting at dinner on our first date. I had just turned 20 years old and he's older. A little bit older, already out of college, out of seminary, back where he's like a man with a job, you know? So it was a little bit weird. But anyway, we're sitting there, we're having, we're having dinner. And he says, so he was a youth pastor at the time. He says, so have you ever worked with teenagers before? And I said, um, well, I just finished being a teenager. So, um, So anyway, so now we've been doing ministry together for about 34 years, and so I've learned a few lessons, is my point. Um, I also, as I was thinking about today, I also thought about the fact that the last couple of years have been kind of tough on a lot of levels for, for many of us. We have navigated a global pandemic. Um, we watched, we've watched the heartbreaking unrest, um, kind of in real time, um, around the world, just stuff happening. We're also watching in real time, the horrors of things that are happening in Ukraine and our family is very connected to Ukraine. Um. We are evaluating all these things, um, the, the international and the domestic implications of all these things that are going on in the world. And then most recently we've had our hearts so broken watching the aftermath of the shootings in Uvalde. And, and then we also all just have the normal life surprises like um, illnesses or job losses or family stuff or parenting drama, just all the stuff of life. So everywhere we turn, there are just some things that we face that are out of our control or that maybe we just didn't see coming. So for the next few minutes in the in light of the fact that we all feel a little bit out of control sometimes, I wanna talk about five things five lessons that I've learned. And I think they're all five important to hang on to, um, maybe especially in the midst of the uncertainty around us. And I think they're important. I'm calling them my five wishes, my five wishes for you, for me, for us, um, five, five things that I hope for all of us. And interestingly, all five of them are modeled for us in scripture. So um, here we go. I I think all five have the potential really to give us some direction and some clarity for the days ahead. So here we go with my five wishes. Um, My first wish for you and for us is that your faith and your personal walk with God would be authentic. That your faith and your personal walk with God would be authentic. My hope is that your relationship with God would not just be something you talk about, that it would not just be a Sunday thing, that it would not be something that you intend to focus on later in a different season of your life, maybe when you have more time. Um, My hope is that your faith would never be disengaged from your everyday life, that it would never be disengaged from your everyday life, that your faith would inform the way you conduct business, that your faith would inform how you parent, that your faith would inform how you speak to people who get on your nerves or irritate you, that your faith would inform your social media behavior, that your faith would inform how you entertain yourself, that your faith would inform what you allow actively and passively to come into your heart and your mind, and that you would be so connected To your heavenly father, that you would be connected with him in such a way that your actions and your behaviors could not help, but be patterned after what Jesus models for us in the gospels. Um, If you've been around here for any length of time, you've heard us be very clear about our mission. We say that our mission isn't to inspire people to follow Jesus. It's that simple. It's not hidden, no hidden agenda. Our mission is to inspire people to follow Jesus. And then we follow that by saying, following Jesus will make your life better and make you better at life. You've heard that a lot, but here's the kicker about that. We are not talking about your life circumstances magically changing. We are not making some promise of prosperity or that all of a sudden you'll have the answers to all the dilemmas in your life. We would not insult your intelligence or your life experiences by trying to sell you something like that. When we say following Jesus will make your life better and make you better at life, the core of that message is simply this, because of his love for you, Christ came to this earth on a mission, And that mission was to pave a way through his death and his resurrection for you to have a personal relationship with God. This kind of relationship with God through Christ makes you able to live the life he calls you to live. It makes you able to follow Jesus and to be a Jesus follower. And anything short of that is an inauthentic faith. And when we enter into this kind of relationship, we become Jesus followers. Our faith begins to inform and impact in practical ways, all aspects of our everyday life and of our everyday living. As we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four books of the Bible that we call the gospels, we see Jesus modeling an an amazing intimacy with his father in heaven. And he invites us to that same intimacy. So... How's your intimacy with God? How is it really? It's not enough just to show up on a Sunday or to listen to a few sermons a month. Not if you want a transformed life and an authentic faith. I think that we are set up right now more than ever before for having an inauthentic faith. Um, We're busier than we've ever been. We're possibly less personally connected than we've ever been before. We're pumped full of more information than ever before. And we're more distracted than ever before. And those things are impediments to an intimacy with God. Here's something you probably already know. Intimacy with our heavenly father stays authentic when we prioritize our time alone with him, when we renew our minds and our hearts in his word, and when we commune with him privately in the regular rhythm of our everyday. Are you doing those things really? Here's something that it absolutely blows my mind every time I think about it. And this is how I know that authentic faith and real intimacy are so important. Even Jesus, who was fully God, and fully man regularly pulled away from the crowds, from his followers, from his inner circle of people, of disciples to be alone with his father in heaven. It was part of his regular rhythm. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record multiple times where Jesus intentionally and methodically spent time alone with his father. Matthew 14, 23 says, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Mark 6, 46 records that same one. This was after he had just finished doing amazing teachings with huge crowds. This one records the same way. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Luke 5, 16 tells us this was a pattern for him, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And then Luke 6, 12 records another time, a separate time. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and he spent the night praying to God. But this last one is my favorite one because I love the details of Mark 1, 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Those passages are so powerful to me, knowing that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, felt compelled to draw away for time alone with his Father. It just reminds me of my need as a frail, messy, human person who can be so incredibly short-sighted at times. How much more do I need that? And then there's the Apostle Paul. He followed Christ's example of solitude and prayer, patterning himself after Jesus' example. And his effectiveness and productivity were extraordinary. He got to write most of the New Testament, as many of you know. But he also almost single-handedly laid the foundations for the Gentile church, which is why we are sitting right here today. Centuries and centuries later, we're still talking about him we're still talking about him. So regardless of season of life for you, and it does look different in every season as a mom of three who had our kids kind of close together, there were some seasons, it was a little bit trickier, but regardless of season, it is so important to figure out how to pull away with regular rhythm, to have time alone with your heavenly father, keeping your faith real and authentic. And just a side note, if you've never before understood or recognized that the purpose of Jesus's death and resurrection, his mission was to pay fully and finally for your sin so that you can have a relationship with God. Please don't leave here without talking to someone about that. We have staff volunteers and guest services t-shirts all over the place, and they can point you in a direction to talk to someone, to pray with someone, to get your questions answered, and we would love for you to do that. That is why we are here. That is why we are here, to inspire people to follow Jesus and to have an authentic faith that informs every aspect of life. So arrange your life in such a way that time alone with your heavenly father is the most integral part of the rhythm of your day because it is the most important. My second wish for you, my second wish is that you would develop discernment. And I know that sounds kind of strange because we tend to think that people are either discerning or they're not. I happen to think that discernment can be developed. And here's why I think that. The wisest man to ever live besides Jesus, King Solomon, wrote proverb after proverb, personifying wisdom and calling people to wise living. Here's a favorite, a favorite of mine of the Proverbs. This is Proverbs 9, 1 through 6. And it says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn it out of its seven pillars she has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maize, and she calls from the highest point of the city, let all who are simple come in here. She says to those who lack judgment, come eat my food and drink the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. So Solomon implies in this proverb that wisdom and discernment and good judgment can be pursued and Andy and I have been married again, just, just um, almost 34 years. And there's a prayer that we have been praying our entire marriage and we will not stop praying this prayer. We have seen God answer it so many times. And it also originates from the book, book of Proverbs. Um, the verse is Proverbs 27, 12, the prudent see danger coming and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. So we took that proverb, we took that verse and we turned it into a prayer. And our prayer goes like this. Lord, give us the wisdom to see trouble coming and the courage to do something about it no matter what people think. Lord, give us the wisdom to see trouble coming and the courage to do something about it no matter what people think. It is our cry for discernment. It is our request for God to protect us from being simple-minded, from being naive, from drifting in wrong directions, from missing the big clues that he means for us to see. And we have seen him answer this more times than I can count. We've seen him answer it in our marriage. You've seen this and and we have too. Marriages usually do not implode in an instant. Usually it's a slow drift that leads to a place that nobody wants to end up. Discernment and wisdom allow us to see stuff early. They allow us to take appropriate steps before something becomes a problem or goes into dangerous territory. We've seen God answer this prayer in our parenting. We were not perfect parents and we did not have perfect kids. They're great. But they weren't perfect. And um, so we desperately wanted parenting discernment in those seasons of the heavy-duty parenting. We wanted to parent our kids in such a way that we would have great relationships with them when we launched them out of our homes. And we wanted to guide them in a way that they would have a strong faith of their own. That their faith wouldn't be just a thing that rests on tradition or mom and dad's thing, that they would own their faith. So we prayed like crazy for parenting discernment. Um, we've seen God answer this prayer in our jobs, in our ministry. We've had some pretty near, you know, pretty significant near misses along the way. Um, But think about your own life for just a second. Have you ever faced a decision um, or a a relationship decision, a career decision, a parenting decision, um, that on the outside, you know, when you're kind of weighing your pros and cons, it seems great, but there's just a little something on the inside. You have one of those feelings that this could mean trouble for you. That's discernment. For those of us who are Christians, we see it as God working in us and through us through the Holy Spirit But discernment is so important. So don't ignore it, develop discernment and ask God to give you wisdom to see trouble coming and to give you courage to deal with it, no matter what people think. And we always added no matter what people think, because when you see something early and you take action, it doesn't necessarily make sense to other people why you're doing what you're doing, but it is so important. And I just think God delights in answering that prayer when we ask him. The third thing, third thing I wish for you, my third wish is that you would pursue humility, that you would pursue humility. I think it's possible that we live in a place on the continuum of time that is the most self-centered, maybe it's ever been before. We count followers and friends on social media. We compare ourselves or our jobs or our companies um, we we to, to the other ones around us. Sometimes we judge our success or maybe even our self-worth based on some of those numbers or some of those outcomes. We posture our posts or our marketing to make ourselves or our organizations look more successful or, or more powerful or whatever adjective it is that we might crave. And when all of that gets out of hand, it is in direct conflict with a call to pursue humility. And I say pursue humility instead of be humble because I think it's a constant battle. I think it's something that if it's gonna characterize us, if humility is gonna characterize us, um, I think we have to fight for it. Uh, Some of you may have heard of Albert Speer. He was Hitler's architect. He was part of Hitler's inner circle in Nazi Germany. He was convicted of war crimes. um, He was convicted of war crimes in the Nuremberg trials. And he spent about 20 years in prison. He wrote a book though, entitled Inside the Third Reich Memoirs. And in this book, he discussed something he witnessed as Adolf Hitler's popularity began to escalate. And he talked about it as the evolution of a court the evolution of a court. He watched as Hitler's popularity and power began to increase. And he noted that a court of sorts rose up around Hitler as a leader. People began deferring to him. People began vying for ways to serve him. People wanted his approval. They wanted to be on the inside. And Speer said this of Hitler, Hitler himself put up no visible resistance to the evolution of a court. And that was a piece of one of the most devastating things that has happened in our history and in our world. And it started with the evolution of a court. Um, Andy and I have a friend who some years ago became CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And being the wise man that he is, he asked a predecessor what he should expect. And the predecessor said, Frank, your jokes are about to get a lot funnier. (laughs) And that was his way of saying... A court of sorts is about to rise up around you as a leader. Powerful people, whether they intend for it to happen or not, find that a court begins to rise up. People want to serve them. People want to run errands for them. People want to be on the inside with them. It happens to powerful people, popular people, famous people, and it's not even the powerful, popular, or famous person's fault necessarily. It's human nature. It's simply human nature. And unfortunately, dictators and CEOs are not the only ones that fall prey to this phenomenon. Pastors, ministry leaders, business leaders, community leaders, it happens to everybody. And apparently, Jesus knew what a temptation this would be for all of us. So he made it clear by example how leaders should respond. Jesus continually emphasized the importance of humility. He instructed his disciples to serve rather than be served. And toward the end of his ministry, he demonstrated humility in a way that his followers would never forget. You can read several different accounts of it in the gospels. He gathered his disciples to celebrate Passover and he assumed the role of a servant and he washed their feet. And it was awkward to say the least, because foot washing was typically reserved for the lowliest of servants. But John thirteen fourteen tells us that Jesus concluded this demonstration by saying, Now as I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you should wash one another's feet. We live in a different age. Foot washing is not a necessary daily task in our time like it was then, but foot washing was not Jesus's point. Serving was Jesus's point. Humility was Jesus's point. So for those of you who are leaders um, or find yourselves in positions of influence or will someday, resist the evolution of a court. So have a handful of ideas. These are, I don't have any verses for this. These are just Sandra opinions um, of ways to pursue humility and resist the evolution of a core. Just, just my opinion. So here's one. In your organization or your company or your community where you lead, don't set yourself up to be treated differently than everybody else. And don't let your staff or the people around you push you to that either. As you gain influence, people will place pedestals in front of you. Do not climb up. Surround yourself with truth tellers, not sycophants and not just people who are on your payroll. The more successful you become, the more you need real friends around you and look for opportunities to serve someone who can do nothing for you in return. Look for opportunities to serve someone who can do nothing for you in return. One of my favorite descriptions of Christ is found in both Matthew and Mark. And Andy talks about this a lot. Mark 10, 45 says, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If anyone ever deserved a pedestal or ever deserved to be honored everywhere he went, it was Jesus Christ. But what did he do? He washed the dusty feet of his disciples and he modeled humbly serving. So pursue humility. My fourth wish for you, for me, for us, fourth thing that I hope for you is that you would live generously, that you would live generously. The book of Luke, in the book of Luke, Jesus finds himself referring an argument between two people, each accusing the other of greed. So true to form, Jesus tells a story. Um, he tells of a wealthy farmer who had yet another great harvest, and he had so much grain that he wonders aloud what in the world he's going to do with all this grain, how he's going to store it all. And apparently Jesus' protagonists like to talk to himself a lot. So he answers his own dilemma by saying this, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, if we stop the story there, we think great job, rich farmer. You didn't go blow it on something irresponsible. You invested in some new barns. um, You're saving for the future, right? All that's great, that's nice but the story takes a bit of an unexpected turn. And Jesus goes on and he says, but God said to him, you fool this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Yikes right? Um, I think it's safe to say that unless you're already familiar with this story, you really might not have seen it coming, um, this, this curveball. I wouldn't have. I was raised by an Eagle Scout, Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel, entrepreneur dad, who is sitting right over there. Um, so my siblings and I, we were taught to be responsible, to be prepared and think about the future We were taught to make wise choices and avoid instant gratification and to only borrow money for appreciating assets a hundred times. Only borrow money for appreciating assets. All that kind of stuff. That's the kind of stuff the Walker children learned. Um, so I kind of thought the farmer had it going on. I I just did. That was my that was my reference point. But Jesus had a different point here. He was not against saving, he was not against investing, he is not against being responsible, but Jesus knew that our natural inclination when we have more than we need is to consume it ourselves, to keep it for ourselves. Andy and I talk about this all the time. Um, and you've probably heard him talk about this, but we talk about it because it's an easy trap for us to fall into. Um, we call it the consumption assumption because Andy likes for stuff to rhyme. And so, um, we make the assumption, that all the extra we have is for our own consumption. and um, But Jesus wanted to flip the script on that. He wants us to open our eyes to the fact that when we have extra time, extra talent, extra treasure, we get in the habit of asking ourselves, how can we leverage this to benefit someone else and not just ourselves? That is generosity. And to Jesus's further point in the story, everybody eventually leaves it all behind anyway, right? Why not live generously now? One of the um, coolest things about giving generously and living generously is that you never miss money that you give to meet a need in somebody else's life. Andy and I miss money we did dumb stuff with. We miss money we wasted or mishandled, but we never miss money we used to meet the needs of somebody else. And I bet you've experienced this too. There is an unusual joy that comes right on the heels of leveraging our extra time, our extra money, our extra gifts and talents to benefit someone in need. So avoid the consumption assumption and live generously. My last thing, the fifth wish for you, for us, is that you would get help with anything in your past or your present that has the potential to hold you back. That you would get help with anything in your past or your present that has the potential to hold you back. Your past will sneak into your present and it will impact your future. The hard things that are presently going on in your life also have the potential to derail your future. Your past hurts, and unforgiveness will get all over the people who are in your present, and it will impact their futures too. Um, you maybe you've heard this before: our root determines our fruit. Our root determines our fruit. Whatever our actions and behaviors are rooted in will, in many ways, impact the fruit of our lives. And for some of us, we've got heavy stuff that happened in our pasts, that our actions and our words and our responses to things continue to be rooted in. And while we would like to maybe just close our eyes to those things and move on, um, it's just really not possible. It's not possible. So if you're looking to the next accomplishment or achievement or relationship or season of life to heal what's hurting inside of you, it won't at least not for long. So whatever you have to do to dislodge and deal with the stuff that you're carrying, you must do it. Please do not believe that you will be the exception because you will not. It doesn't matter how spiritual you are. It doesn't matter how committed you are. It doesn't matter how much scripture you know or have memorized, you won't be the exception. And there is no shame in having a third party walk along with you or with your spouse or with your kids or with your family through a difficult time. Um, Andy worked for his dad for a lot of years before we started North Point. And um, uh, for most of the years he worked for his dad, we were married. And when we left there to come start a different kind of church, there were hurt feelings. There was some misunderstanding like there always is. Um, but Andy and his dad were so committed to their father-son relationship that they went to counseling together and separately. And at the same time, through that transitional time, I had a mentor who was also a counselor who was walking me through all the stuff in real time, helping me process all of it correctly. And, um, and it was, it was, it was everything for us during that season. And honestly, most of the people in our family and that I know have been through counseling at some season of life. And there just is no shame in that. It is such a gift and it is such a tool for healing. Um, I am so grateful we live in a a time when it's acceptable and even kind of broadly celebrated to to get help getting mentally and emotionally healthy. So don't carry the hard stuff around on your own. Everyone around you will be better off for your effort in dealing with it. Um, So those are five wishes. Those are five things that I have learned along this journey from help, you know, in ministry, talking to people, navigating life with people, and then from our own lives as well. Five things that we can do, even in the midst of uncertainty and uncertain times that I think will help us move forward and walk wisely into the days and weeks and years ahead. Have an authentic faith, develop discernment, pursue humility, live generously and get help with anything holding you back. I would love to pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather in your name. Father, thank you that you don't leave us to wonder how to act and, and how to um, live this life and how to follow you effectively. Father, would you just give all of us wisdom to see all of this, to process all of this the way that you want us to and give us courage to take the steps we need to, st- to take. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this church. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.